Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand, stunt me a destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. Now, on today's episode, we have got on an online entrepreneur. He runs a portfolio of businesses. He's also got an interesting story because he's recently left his home country for greener pastures. And this is Oliver Canton. Welcome to the show. Zuby, it is an honor, my friend. Glad no to doubt, be here. Man's- Happy to have you. So I've done a real brief intro there, but for people who aren't familiar with you and your work, tell them a little bit about you. Sure. Um, so those who know me definitely know me from Twitter. I am infamous for tweeting six to 9,000 times per day on average. Uh, <laughs> so I'm a pretty prolific tweeter. Um, Work-wise, I run uh, a number of online businesses in the marketing space, a big focus on health and helping people achieve better health outcome through lifestyle. So nothing medical, but everything having to do with with fitness, with nutrition and and things like that. One of the people that I work with, you've had on your podcast, uh, Mr. P.D. Mangan. Okay, yeah. Awesome. And uh, where are you originally from? I am originally from Ottawa, Canada, which is the capital. Mm-hmm. And you were sharing a bit of my, my story there. So those of you who haven't seen what's going on in Australia um, with regards to the pandemic, um, in Canada, I would say it's 20% of the way, uh, as extreme as what Australia is experiencing. And I felt a very strong urge to leave before I couldn't leave. So Mm. I have fled um, Canada. I sold my house. I gave all my possessions away. And I've uh, taken a hiatus now officially uh, in sunny Florida. Uh, I'm on the Gulf Coast now. And to be completely transparent with you, will I ever step foot in Canada ever again? I'm, I'm not sure. If things go in the direction that they're going, I think there's a good chance I'll never go back again. Wow. So a lot of us are seeing what's happening in places like Canada, Australia, and New Zealand in particular, as well as some parts of Western Europe, perhaps Israel. So what was the situation actually like for you in Canada? So my 
my my journey and you know the way i've looked at things and you know what are the the facts right so so one really big eye opening moment for me was while my canadian province i was living i was living in quebec last uh, in montreal and the province and the city was under very strict curfews um and i monitored news around and other places had no mandates at all um other provinces with similar numbers had no curfews quebec as far as i as i know and i'm 99% sure is the only province with uh curfews or had curfews for months and months and they would rotate the curfews one week it was safe to go outside after 8 p.m. one week it was safe to go outside only after uh 7 p.m. or 9 p.m. Mm-hmm. so i i became very disillusioned with the way things are being done over there and i was very inspired by the great barrington declaration i'm i'm sure you've talked about it on on other episodes mm-hmm. and you know feel that it's not going to get better anytime soon the only thing that i can control is where i take my family and so i yeah. decided to leave while i could That's crazy man. So right now for anyone wondering, I'm I'm in Maine right now. I'm currently in rural Maine. I'm traveling all over the USA. Oliver's over there in Florida. I'm originally from the UK. He's originally from Canada. So I think both of us are in that situation where we sort of felt like our hand was forced to some degree, which is a crazy situation because we're not from some third world countries or places that are typically known for conflict or anything like that, but yet to have more freedom we have both had to escape essentially which is uh probably not something we would have predicted as early as beginning of last year you know the interesting thing is there's been various us presidents inspire sentiment that if this person is in office I'll leave right um but people from different persuasions with different values I've all ended up coming to the US and you know a handful of states like Florida like Texas have made it very clear that they have no intention to run public health like it's been run before and you know Florida has been open the way it is now since September 2020 right and mm. it's just a normal life out there and um, you know there are people obviously who experience uh, this particular pandemic in a different way but to to make it the one issue that dictates every social professional spiritual interaction is what i have issue with right yeah. um vulnerable, vulnerable people can take the measures and we should do what we can to protect vulnerable people but to completely transform how society operates and um, you know my my biggest fear personally is the precedent that we're setting we're yes. saying if these sets of conditions then this reaction mm-hmm. and i think we can agree this is not the worst possible virus that could be out there so we're saying if this level of trouble arises and we can debate on the facts but if this level of trouble arises we have this overreaction what happens if there's a 2 or 3 or 4x um you know sars or other virus then what mm. we just lockdown for 10 years like 
Yeah. I mean, I would, I would go further in saying, I mean, what if you had one that was 20x or 50x or um, 100x, which we have had in the past. We've had viruses. There have been pandemics in the past where the fatality rate is literally several thousand times higher than this particular one. I mean, the fact that it's even possible for it to be a thousand times higher uh, says a lot. And this is not to, um, you know, any, as I've said before, I mean, sickness is not new. Death is not new. All sick, virtually all sickness and death, people dying, it's, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate, but it's a reality of life. It's been a reality of life all throughout our lives. None of us are going to make it out of here alive. And it's been a reality for every single human being who's ever existed. And one of the most bizarre things about this response is people have been acting as if viruses are new and death is a brand new, as if everyone, everyone was immortal prior to uh, 2020. And even a lot of the measures that are have been taken, I honestly am in the position, I don't even think that they have been neutral. I honestly think that the measures have and will kill far more people than the virus ever did um, through the downstream impacts. So yeah. to me, it's not even a, a neutral thing. It's not even sort of like, okay, well, this it's not, it's not even that, you know, it worked or it didn't do anything. I'm like, it's beyond it not doing anything in the positive. It's actually massively detrimental. If you look at all of the downstream repercussions, economic, financial, mental health, physical health, all other diseases, people missing treatment, missing diagnosis, impact on children, poverty, inflation, all of these things are going to cripple, harm, and kill so many millions of people that I, I've never understood this totally myopic tunnel vision situation. And I try not to ascribe bad motives to people, but I do think that there are individuals out there, particularly at a high level, who do have bad intentions because there's no way it's so disproportionate and nonsensical and illogical that I reach a point where that's the only way I can explain some things, right? If it's truly about health, truly yeah. about a virus, truly about keeping yeah. people safe, the response would be very, very different. And if they don't have bad motives, they have complete disregard to second and third order consequences, right? So exactly. it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if the intent is to harm. It is very clear based on what you've just shared that there will be more harm done. And you know, another, another macro number is obesity rates in children in the last oh 12 or 18 months. You, you've seen those. And mm -hmm. two micro things that I've seen. Um, one of them is those images of the father and daughter in a park in Australia. A father and a daughter in a park alone with no one around outside. Mm -hmm. And police officers approach them um, to check on why they weren't wearing masks father and daughter who obviously live in the same household. Yep. Um, and the other one is there is, I, I can't think of the specific academy or organization, but an organization that deals with childhood development and psychology um, amended their textbook online five to 10 days ago, changing what they say about recognition of facial cues, basically making it okay to ask children to wear masks by mm. removing what we know to be true before they can communicate with words, children read uh, facial expressions, right? And even us as humans, I'll tell you for me, not having to wear a mask anywhere here in Florida, 
I can, you know, communicate with my full face, with my full body, and I can see other people communicate. And I, you know, I didn't know that I missed it, but I, I did. And it's like it, fe- it feels like I'm a human around humans again for the first time in 18 months. Yeah, man. Uh, so, wow, there's a lot there, man. So, what's been the response generally from the people of Canada? Because I can know, I know, of course, there's a mix here, but one of the things I personally found very disheartening about the response in many places was the people's response to the government response, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. The lack, the lack of indignation, the number of people who are there saying, yeah, this is fine. In fact, you're not going far enough. We still have too many freedoms. We still have too much freedom, uh, liberty, yeah. govern me harder, and let's go even further with this. That for me yeah. personally, that's the thing that I found. Uh, to use your term disillusioned, that's the thing that made me the most disillusioned. Yeah. I was felt feeling like, why am I in such a minority of people who is having a, a problem with this? So in your view and perspective, what has been the general response from the people of Canada? Are they irate? Are they generally in favor? What's the situation? Yeah. Um, I've, got a, I've got a couple of uh, couple of things I can back up and a couple of things that are sentiment. So The first fact I'll introduce to this part of the discussion, um, when the first lockdowns happened, I believe that was March 2020, right? Um, Google tracked movement across various places in the world. And in North America, so there's 50 U.S. states and there's 10 Canadian provinces. So amongst 60 entities, where I was living, Quebec, so where Montreal is, was the most adherent to lockdown measures. People were very pleased with that. Um, I, I won't repeat the words that I use to describe the situation uh, on your <laughs> podcast, but I was not pleased. To me, um, being compliant to arbitrary rules isn't something that I value very much. And I've always had, my parents sent me to private school for high school. And if they paid for the number of minutes I was inside the classroom, they would have gotten a 50% discount because I was not in the classroom a lot. I was always in the hallway. Uh, so just to tell you where I'm, where, I'm, where I'm coming from, right? As a, as a yeah. person. So I'm not a big fan of just arbitrary rules. Um, so, so that's kind of the first, uh, the first fact. As things progressed, um, they dangled various carrots, right? So summer 2020, was relatively normal for a number of weeks, except for masks, but things were open. And then there was fluctuation of, you know, what is happening in terms of mandates and policies. And throughout the, throughout the period until now, um, the Twitter sentiment talks about restriction of freedom and, and even theft of freedom in person. Um, let's say for every hundred people I talk to in person, I would say less than five have anything negative to say about the reaction. Wow. It's a sample size of one person. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of those interactions were francophones, which based on my own small data set is the most compliant population in regards to COVID measures. And they're mm-hmm. quite happy with the way the prime minister of Quebec is running things in Ontario, where Toronto is. Um, the the current premier is the brother of the former mayor of Toronto, who was videotaped smoking crack. By the way, it's this bad family. So okay. this particular premier was, in my opinion, running things in a smarter way and was 
um, softer with measures. There was huge backlash. And now he's been doubling down and tripling down on everything all the way to vaccine passports. So in Canada, in at least Quebec and Ontario, the two biggest provinces, vaccine passports are happening in the next 30 days. Like they're, ha they're wow. happening. It's not a yep. hypothetical. They are happening. And yep, most people it. are happy to have their freedom passed or so-called mm -hmm. freedom passes. And I have a lot of thoughts about that topic if you, if you want. Um, so to, to me, th this is a line, right? Uh, yep. that, that's just not okay. My, so here's my opinion for viewers. So even if a virus or threat was, to, to your point, Zuby, before, 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times worse than uh, this particular threat, I would be against any kind of vaccination passport or proof of medical intervention passport. That, that's my opinion. I'm not saying it's the correct opinion, but it's my opinion. Mm -hmm. And I certainly think that the response to the current threat is not proportional at all to the size of the threat. And we're setting a very dangerous precedent. And the words I would use are medical police state. Yep. I agree with you, man. Totally. It's, it's hard at this point to, you know, I think there's that thing where we naturally don't want to sound like we're being hyperbolic. Typically, yes. when you use terms like tyranny or totalitarianism, or you compare things to apartheid or Jim Crow or segregation, etc., it those things are typically used as hyperbole. But when you look yes. at certain countries now, I mean, it's it's not hyperbole at all. If you cannot call what's happening in Canada tyrannical or what's happening in Australia, if you can't call that tyrannical and you can't say that this is uh, totalitarian, then what when can you use those terms? Like how far do things have to go? I mean, do you do you literally need boots on people's faces and guns in people's faces before people are willing to admit what is going on. But what do you think is happening in the psyche of so many people in yeah. the population that makes them okay with this? So, I mean, the most honest answer is I don't know, right? But I can venture a few a few guesses. So again, I'll just like to state my, my reality. And so I haven't had cable TV for, I'm 36 years old. I haven't had cable TV for over a decade. I have seen a total combined minutes of live television, including CNN or Fox News, maybe an hour, grand total over the last 18 months. Now, of course, I have the internet and I have seen clips on social. And I recognize that what's shared is what is most extreme, right? So I've seen extreme things I agree with and things I strongly disagree with. And I realize that most of the content is, in, is close to the middle. Mm -hmm. uh, that said, um, Project Veritas, who I'm sure you you know you you followed and you've talked about. So this is a, um, I believe they are funded by the Republican Party, but their intention is to expose the way journalism isn't what it appears to be. And this journalist somehow got on CNN conference calls, and he has leaked audio of the, I don't know if it's the CEO or president Jeff Jeff Zucker, um, the person running CNN reprimanding his staff for not having the number of COVID deaths on screen at all times. So if we step back and we say, how many minutes of CNN does the average American watch? And how many minutes have they seen this clock? How many 
messages have they heard and how much repetition, right? I, I work in marketing, so I understand psychology quite well. My mother was a therapist. I understand people quite well. And the sheer repetition of messages, including visual quantified messages and various anecdotes of seemingly healthy people or people described as healthy. So we're, we're essentially transmitting, you know, people love to use the word trauma these days. So we're transmitting trauma by sharing cherry-picked anecdotal stories, which let's assume they're true, but they're so unlikely. Think about this, Zuby. If we vividly described each car crash, a healthy Canadian, 36 years old, was driving and then a semi-truck destroyed. His head fell out of his body. And you know, if we, if we took all that, we could scare people from operating motor vehicles in 18 months or less. So now, we have scared and we have scarred a segment of the population, maybe for the rest of their lives. And if we, if I get into you know non-citation back psychology here, I think they will transmit that anxiety to the next generation as well. If I'm a 25 year old or 35 year old with no children and I've been very traumatized, how will I raise my children? What is my worldview? My worldview is that other humans are transmitters of disease. Mm -hmm. Is this the world that we want for our children? Is this is this is this humanity? Is it worth is it worth even if we assume that mandates and measures, let's just say they raise our life expectancy by 20% and they don't, but let's just take that number. Mm -hmm. Do I want to trade 80% of my humanity for maybe 20% more minutes on this planet? Yeah. Do you? No. I don't. No. Yeah. There's a difference between living and existing. There's a huge difference between living and existing. And for such a long period of time now, a lot of people are ter they're so afraid of death that they're not willing to live. I also think it's perplexing how so much focus has been on this one particular disease and one particular potential cause of death, right? Some people, they'll talk to me and I'll say what I say. And they're like, Zuby, come on, man. Like this has killed over 4 million people worldwide. I'm like, bro, in that same time frame, about 90 million plus people have died of everything else. In a typical year, 60 to 65 million people die worldwide. That's just a fact. So even if, even if 2 million people last year in 2020 died of covid which we don't even really know because it's covid related it's died with yeah. versus died right uh, yeah, yes of so, versus so, with is a huge question exactly but even if it's 2 million two points on that the average age of death in many developed countries has been over 80 certainly over 75 yeah. so you're talking about people who are already at a high risk of dying from a lot of things and then on top of that that's 2 million out of, let's say, 60 million. So six, so 58 million people died in 2020 of everything else, and then 2 million died of this one particular yeah. cause, and 90% of the focus, all of the focus is on that very small minority. This is the thing that's, that's mind-blowing and how global it yeah. is. When I left the UK uh, over a month ago, uh, a 
According to official statistics, COVID was the 26th cause of death at the time. 26th. So there were 25 other things killing more people on a daily basis than this particular virus. And to this day, all of the focus, all of the attention, all of people's concern, worry, etc., is on that. If you're talking about children, the flu is statistically more dangerous than this virus. So just just a as, as a fact, yeah. I have a question for you. So, so here's here's where, and I, I have thoughts, but I'd like to hear your thoughts. So when people hear you say this, but they say, okay, but this one is a transmittable disease, right? The the other 58 million people, what, how do, when people ask you this question, what do you say? You say, okay, but this one's scary because I can transmit it or people can transmit it to me. I would say that transmittable diseases are nothing new. This isn't, this is, it's not, it's not new. Our entire lives have you ever had a cold before? Have you ever had a flu? Right? Our entire lives, we've been living amongst other people who potentially, potentially can... Look, every time you do anything, every time you step outside of your house, you're facing potential dangers. As you've already mentioned, driving in a car, riding a bicycle, just walking around, being around other people. There is always potentially, potentially a threat. And you do have an immune system. Right, You have an immune system. Every single day, you're fighting off millions, millions of pathogens. And now, now, Zubi, uh, I'm, I'm going to have to interrupt you. I think you have to say we allegedly have an immune system. That, that's pretty contested. <laughs> so allegedly, <laughs> allegedly, humans have an immune system. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and prior, to, prior to 2020, nobody walked around. You know, everything's just been inverted. There's so much abnormal behavior which has now been normalized, whether you're talking about the mask wearing or people, uh, this obsession with who has or hasn't taken a particular jab or uh, who's doing this. The, the notion that other people are responsible for your health is absurd, right? We've never believed that before. The notion that, look, I'm, I'm pro-freedom. If somebody wants to stay at home, they want to wear a mask, they want to wear multiple masks, they want to uh, shut their business down, they want to take whatever measure they want to take, they want to bleach their groceries, I 100% support to do that, right? If they want to take a jab every five months, you know, whether or not I think that's a good idea, doesn't matter. But in terms of their right, I support their right to do that just yeah. as I support the right of someone who's like, you know what, I'm good. I've analyzed my own risk. I don't want to do that, you know? I don't want to force someone to take an aspirin. If they don't want an aspirin, they, no one should be forced to take an aspirin. So I'm simply pro-liberty, pro-freedom. So it's up to each individual, up to each family. If they want to take these measures, look, you can give out guidelines, right? That's what I think somewhere like Sweden had a good approach, right? They gave people the facts, gave people information and say, look, it's up to you. If you're in this particular age demographic or you have particular risk factors, it probably makes sense. And is wise for yeah. you to take some particular precautions. Yeah. And maybe even you could say, look, we're going to give you some special resources. Maybe if you can't go to work, et cetera, we'll support these people, which again, for over a year, I said is a good idea. But this notion that you're going to treat 15 year olds and 25 year olds the exact same way you're treating 75 year olds and 85 year olds yeah. and 95 year olds is absurd. It's absurd. We're, we're even talking about. 12-year-olds and 9-year-olds now. It's unbelievable. are not really affected. Uh, you know, this brings me, if I can suggest, a, I want to hear your thought, your answer on this topic, if that's okay. Um, just the, the role of governments in our in our lives, right? So that's the other thing that I've, uh, 
I've tried to have a few open and transparent communications about this in person, and they've not gone well. On Twitter, some of them have been productive. So I think we have, and I don't have you know the answer. I have one answer. I'd like to hear yours. What should be the role of the state? Of course, we can agree, right? Roads, uh, probably police, probably fire, um, protecting um, land ownership, and some you know some regulation to keep us safe. And this is where you know would I just stop it there and be a very pure libertarian, or where? What What are your thoughts? I believe the role of the state is to protect your God-given rights and not infringe upon them. That is the fundamental role of the state. Now, depending on someone's politics, things may expand beyond that. But to me, that's the fundamental core role of government, right? You have a, a right to life and existence. You have a right to your private property. You have a right to freedom of speech. You have a right to bodily autonomy and medical freedom, etc. If I'm in the government, my role is to protect that. If someone is there trying to uh, kill you or trying to take your stuff or trying to rob you or trying to deprive you, uh, imprison you, whatever it is, then I believe there's a role of the state to 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 defend you from that, right? Someone trying to... So to me, that's the core fundamental role of the state when you're getting into other things even basic services like roads and police forces and police forces and military all that like that's additional i think most people would agree with some level of it but the more look i i believe in i believe in individual rights right individual rights now i don't have a right to intentionally go and and, and physically hurt someone I don't have a right to, if I know I have a, a, I have a disease, I don't have a right to go and uh, intentionally infect somebody else with it, et cetera. Um, but that's a very different thing to people just going around their natural lives. And because the, the line you keep hearing is, oh, well, everybody could have it. This person could maybe say this. Again, look, you, like I said, you have a right to stay home. You have a right to wear a gas mask. You yeah. have a right to do whatever you want. If you want to take therapeutics that'll protect you, you fully have a right. What you don't believe you have a right to do is to control everybody else based on your own fears and concerns and phobias, right? Someone might be out there who is afraid of, uh, who's afraid of roads, right? They're afraid of cars, right? Cars are, man, there's vehicles moving all fast. Like, I'm terrified of that. I don't think that person should ever be forced to get into a car. They shouldn't be forced to drive a car. You can even, you don't even need to walk across a road if you don't want. That is your choice. Right. But it would be absurd for you to expect everybody else to stop driving because you have that concern, right? You may not, I know people who won't get on a plane, right? I know people yeah. who have a fear, they yeah. have a fear of flying, yeah. right? But they don't have a right, they have a right to go on a plane or not go on a plane if they want. They don't have a right to stop everybody else from going on a plane. And if you want to talk about health and safety, there are infinitely more things that we could do. Like if you wanted to use the force of the state and you were willing to just be a, a, an authoritarian tyrant, there are infinitely more things that you could force and you could mandate or at least try to in order to save lives, right? Let's cut yeah. the, right? Let's mandate exercise. Let's mandate healthy eating. Let's tax people based on their BMI. Let's cut the speed limit to 30 miles per hour on the highway. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's ban smoking. Obviously, obviously ban smoking, ban alcohol, obviously, 
right? Why am I against those things? I, I don't drink. I don't smoke. And I exercise a lot. Would I want the government to mandate those things? Absolutely yeah, not. That's the... So you can be in, yeah, so you can be in favor of something, but not think it should be mandated. You can also be opposed to something and not think it should be banned, right? Maybe there are yeah. some, you know, right? So I'm very that. much, yeah, exactly. So you have people who are like, yeah, I'm, some people are very uh, pro vaccine or they're pro this. And it's like, cool, that's fine, right? You can, you can advocate, you can encourage. You can provide information. I don't have a problem with any of that. My problem is with this, with any, with the force and with the coercion, right? That's the problem. Same with the mask thing. My problem was never, my issue was never, oh, you know, you shouldn't be allowed to wear a mask. I would never say that. I support your right to wear a mask. I don't support your right to force other people to wear a mask. It's like, look, if you want to wear one, that's cool, right? If you want to, if you want to take an injection, that's cool. You want to take a particular drug. That's cool. You want to stay at home. That's cool. You want to shut your business. You want to only eat outside. All up to you. But this that's notion right. that you can force everybody else to align with it and to behave in the way you want, that's where I have a problem. This this is yeah. generally how I'm libertarian minded. The same goes with a religion, right? You're, you have a right. I have a right to believe what we want. You have a right to practice your religion. You have a right to have your own beliefs political, ideological, whatever it is. If I grab my Bible and I go out on horseback with my sword and I start <laughs> slaying the non-believers and I start trying to force other people to convert to Christianity, that's a problem. And people should have a problem with that, right? I can, I can have discussions with them. I can have conversations. I can uh, even pr- proselytize. But this use of coercion, force, um, or, you know, say, oh, only Christians should be allowed to... Uh, participate fully in society. That would be absurd. It would be absurd and everyone would recognize it as absurd. And this is what happened is absurdity is now being normalized. That's the problem. Um, On that same topic. So we, we both agree that if people want to use um, medication or an injection, however new or or established that that thing is, you know, they they can. Um, Where do you stand on the state providing it basically should the state use taxpayer money to provide a particular treatment for a particular situation such as the the current jabs should they use uh, taxpayer money for it are you saying yes so almost every first world country is mm-hmm. funding this particular jab right so yes. my and your tax dollars are funding this initiative Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm not sure if I support that. Yeah, well, this is more of a going going higher up. I mean, that that's a whole conversation about, I mean, the ethics of taxation itself and universal health care and so on and so forth. So from it, I'll be honest. So I kind of have two answers from this, which is from an ideological perspective, I lean towards no. Right. Like I think generally the amount of taxation and the size of the state and the number of things it's involved with, et cetera, is way too large. I think the scope of the government is far too large just in general. With that said, given where we currently are and given the number of things that our money can go to, I would prefer it goes to that versus, I don't know, building more planes to drop bombs or 
racking up more, right? There, there's yeah. a lot of dangerous and destructive things that billions and trillions are spent on every single year. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, okay, well, if you're going to spend a hundred billion dollars on something, I would prefer it to be something that actually helps and benefits some people versus just goes out and kills them or, or blows it completely. Yeah. In terms of going up a level ideologically, should all of those hundreds of billions be being taken from us to begin with? That's, that's a, that's a whole different question, right? That's a whole different yeah. question, especially given that if you don't pay taxes, we know what happens to you. So that's my sort of two pronged answer. There's my, my sort of ideological answer. And then there's my, okay, well, given where we are and all the things the money goes to, do I have a problem with it being yeah. assigned that way? No, not really. But then again, I do have a problem if you're then moving into the realm of coercion and trying to bully people and trying to force people, kick people out of their jobs, all of that. That's essentially fascism because that's tying up the government with the companies to yeah. such a degree that that can be done. So, so one, one thing I've learned, um, I had dinner with um, a major in the U.S. Army um, a couple weeks ago. And he, he explained to me that the flu uh, jab is mandatory in at least part of the U.S. Army. And the current one is not mandatory yet, but there essentially are two classes of soldiers and army men and women if you don't take it. Now, this led me to think that what we just talked about, the, the taxpayer, right? So if we basically what we're saying now is if this risk threshold is reached, then taxpayer dollars will come in and protect. Um, and we're in a transmittable case, right? So we've established a pattern that anything transmittable with this threshold of risk, it comes out of our individual taxpayer pockets. If you continue that logic, there'll probably be many more opportunities for organizations in the pharmaceutical industry to compel certain lawmakers that they could do the right thing and suggest and fund this thing. And then they could mandate people, if the government's paying for it, they want it to be used and then they may mandate. And what worries me is, again, it's the precedent, right? I don't think there's anything wrong with this particular job, uh, but it is the precedent of even if you are um, immune, if you have natural immunity as a result of an infection, you're still expected in many places to prove that you've taken this thing to live in society. In some cases, it's the employer enforcing it. In some cases, it is um, the province or the states um, for air travel. So which I'm is very, that, which is very scientifically backwards, may I say? That's so. I'm worried that we continue on this path, and then basically other things will become mandatory with a similar risk profile. And then you know, I don't want to be too much of a caricature, but let's say then every eight weeks you have to get your state jab mm -hmm. and if you're not up to date on your um medical digital id uh mm -hmm. in night i believe it's nigeria um one politician i don't know if this is in effect but one politician spoke of the idea of if you're not jabbed you can't access your own money at the bank 
Yeah, well, look, the, China already has this. China already has yeah. a social credit score system. And well, there, there you go. I think, I think generally people are quite poor of, at seeing what's going on around the world. Now, I understand that people should probably be primarily focused on their own country and their own locality. But I think it's very important to see what happens, not just in history, but see what's going on in the world. If you live in the USA or you live in the UK, you should be watching what's happening in Australia, in Canada. In France, Amen. in Israel, right? It's, it's important to see that because long gone are the days where people can be so uh, cavalier and comfortable that they just assume these type of things are possible in the Middle East or China or North Korea or back in the 1900s, whatever it is. Look, we're the same human beings. People yeah. haven't changed. We haven't changed at all. Authoritarians are going to authoritarian. Um, viruses are going to virus, yeah. politicians are going to yeah. politic, etc. And so people need to be vigilant and aware of this because and, I believe this all ends when people end it. Yeah. And, and if I can interrupt you for one second, you know, mm -hmm. the one thing that's changed is people's attention span is concentrated on a very finite number of things, right? So a handful of organizations have our attention and have trained us and used some of the smartest people in the world to make i am addicted to twitter let's be very clear oh yeah so i hear that bro very 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 <laughs> smart people just like um just like processed food is addictive right pixels are addictive the news is addictive so everything you've said is true but what's different is if someone or a group of people wanted to get a message across they know where people are. They know where their attention is being spent or invested. And there's different videos out there of political messages such as Build Back Better sounding very, 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 very similar. Now, I, I don't know how that came about, but they sound very similar. And mm -hmm. they're all channeled and funneled on the handful of applications um, and if I may add one more thing, um, that Dr. Fauci uh, has been on TikTok lately, speaking with children. So I don't think there's any precedent in the history of public health of a public health um, bureaucrat or administrator mm -hmm. um, engaging literally with children, um, I believe as young as 12 years old, um, to talk about how safe or unsafe a particular medical intervention is. I don't think mm -hmm. that's normal. No, it's not normal. I think that guy's an absolute charlatan and a criminal, straight up. Um, <laughs> there's, it's, uh, I, I, we I, live, I echo that sentiment, yes. Yeah, we, we live in a weird time. I do think that we're at a precipice, and I'm ever the optimist. I truly believe in the human spirit. More and more people are waking up every single day. I'm seeing this in my own conversations, even in people I know, people online. So I know more and more people are waking up because the further they push it, even the people who were true believers and who were very compliant and who wore their masks and they got their jabs and they did this, they stayed at home, they did everything they were so-called supposed to, they're yeah. still finding that by the stage September 2021, they're still being lied to. They're still being told, you, hey, man, it's time for your, now it's time for your third booster shot. Now you've got to go back into lockdown. Now you've got to put your mask back on, even if you've had both shots. People are realizing that, you know, and, and this is hard because there's that cognitive dissonance. 
There's sometimes buyer's remorse. There's sunk cost fallacy. People don't want to. A lot of human behavior is about protecting the ego. Nobody wants to be like, man, I was I was wrong. Maybe some 100%. of those people, maybe some 100%. of those people who I, I was calling crazy last year, maybe maybe they had a point. Maybe they saw something uh-huh. I didn't, et cetera. Right. And a lot of people don't have the humility to do that. And I think that all we need is honesty and courage. I think honesty and courage go a very, very long way. Not everyone needs to do exactly what I do or exactly what you do. But if everybody can just be a little bit more bold and a little bit more courageous and not allow the powers that be to play this divide and conquer game right now, they're really, really trying to. And I predicted this, right? I said this many months ago on Twitter that they're going to try to pit the the vaccinated against the unvaccinated, right? I said they're going to try to do that. So don't fall for it. And that's literally what they're doing. And it's utterly absurd because, first of all, most people are both vaccinated and unvaccinated, right? It's funny how when people use that term now, they're just relating to this one particular virus, right? Most people are not vaccinated against rabies or yellow fever, but lots of people are vaccinated against measles or, uh, you know, polio, whatever it is. And so this notion is stupid because actually most people fit into both categories. There's very few people who have had no vaccines at all. There's very few people who have taken every single one that is available. In fact, if you did, you'd probably be in a bad situation. So it's a (laughs) false, it's a false binary. Um, Yeah, go ahead. The, the most, if we're even going to categorize people, which I don't think that we should uh, to go back to your point from a few minutes ago. And I think health is an individual and maybe family responsibility, right? So um, I would love for everyone to be happy and healthy. Um, and I'm doing, you know, I, I'm much leaner than the average 36 year old on this, on, at least on this continent. And that's not an accident, right? I'm doing things in my life to do that. I certainly don't engage in any behaviors that could, you know, lead to poor outcomes for, for others, but I'm also not calculating the probability of something going wrong every time I get out of the house or, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm I'm not a professional risk manager and I don't want to live my life as an exercise in risk management, even though we could argue that's what life is, right? It's making Mm -hmm. decisions based on your analysis. But I was going to say, if we're going to group people, which I don't think we should, but Mm -hmm. if we did, maybe it would be immune and non-immune. So if we did that, then we wouldn't expect people who have natural immunity to get extra jab immunity, right? So if we were to do that, that would be a more honest conversation. And even then, again, I go back to this word, precedent. Yes. This is a very, very dangerous game that we're playing as a society. And I encourage people, just like you said, to be courageous and we shouldn't even be inside that narrative that's being and um, anytime you use the mainstream narrative you've already mm-hmm. lost right yep. so we have to step back and say there's a clown show going on it's not normal currently many many people are paying attention to the clown show and believe that this is the best show in town and that it's not comedy or tragedy it's factual right but i think as more and more people are fed up and realize and take a step back, they, they'll come to similar conclusions that guys like you have had for over a year. Yeah. Um, you said the word courage. I wonder, you're traveling and you're not the only black guy in rural Maine, but surely there aren't many black guys in rural <laughs> Maine. You're, you're very vocal. 
Um, are are you worried for your no. your physical safety and personal no. safety? No, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Um, I don't live in fear, bro. I fear God. That's all. That's all. People ask me every day. I get people asking me, do you fear this? Do you fear that? Are you afraid of being deplatformed? Are you afraid of being censored? Are you afraid of your physical? I'm like, no, I don't live. I can't operate from a position of fear. Right. I just do what I do. I say what I say. Um, I take reasonable precaution like anybody else. I'm not trying to, you know, intentionally put myself at risk or whatever. And that's it. Because as soon as you start living in fear, all of this that we've been talking about is what happens. That's what, that's what happens. You start self-censoring yourself. You start not telling the truth. You start hiding information. You start not speaking up when you should speak up. You just start, you know, you fall into this fear cycle, which is why, I mean, and you know, people, people sometimes get upset with me when I use the term cowardice or when I really, really push and encourage people to be more courageous, et cetera. And I'm like, it's because it's important. This was happening prior to any pandemic, right? When people were, oh, why are you anonymous on Twitter? It's like, oh, well, I'm afraid of, I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of that. I'm afraid of, you know, everyone's just fear, fear, fear. And I'm like, guys, this is the problem. I've had people even in Canada say, hey, Zuby, can you talk about the situation in Canada? Like I'm living here, but I'm afraid to speak out on it. I'm like, bro, I'm not even from your country. The reason you're in this situation is because millions of you are doing exactly what you're doing, right? This is your country. Speak up. Like I've been speaking up and taking verbal bullets for the past 18 months. I've been called everything. I've been called a grandma killer, an anti-vaxxer, this, that, selfish. Zuby doesn't care about people. Zuby wants people to die, which is all nonsense, obviously, but I've been willing to take that just to stand on what I'm saying and say, look, guys, this is the situation. Obviously, I care about people. I don't want anybody to die. I don't want anybody to get harmed. I want the world. I was promoting health before it was trendy, right? You, you <laughs> I wrote a whole book about how people can be healthier and live longer and be stronger. I really care about health. My concern is all of these other things. So coming back to your question, uh, no, I, I, can't, I can't live my, like that. I can't, I can't allow myself to succumb to that level of fear because if i do then all of a sudden my whole mode of operation totally changes then i'm I'm oh i can't oh i can't i'll start deleting my tweets because i'm like oh no like i'm worried about this oh I'm, i'm worried about that it never ends it never ever ever ends and i also keep in mind that you know a lot of people tell me i'm courageous but i'm like look man i'm just a guy who talks i share my opinions i rap i make music i give public talks I write, I, I write words um, and I put it out there to hundreds of thousands to millions of people. And that's what I do. I'm not going to, I'm not fl- being flown into Afghanistan and being shot at. I'm not, uh, you know, a firefighter or a policeman who's dealing with criminals and is risking my life in that sort of way. I'm like, to me, to me, that's what I consider courageous, right? I'm like, look, man, I'm just saying what I say. I'm doing what I do. Um, I also think the level of fear and the threat is overblown. I do think it's overblown. People make it sound like, oh my gosh, I have to be anonymous and I can't share anything. I, if, if I tell someone I voted for Trump, I'm going to, it's like, what, what's going to happen to you, bro? Nothing's going to happen to you. Right. Oh, you might get some mean comments. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. Right. Really? Like how often does it yeah. go beyond you? You get some mean comments, right? So I've been dealing and, with that for a very long time. And you know what? That's kind of two, two points, right? So. I, I do think that we must speak up. If you agree 
partially or fully with the things that Zuby is talking about today and on his Twitter feed, um, which which I do um, personally, you have to speak up, right? It's not going to fix itself. The other thing is, you know, I've often preached about curating the information, just like we have to have a, a healthy diet with food, having a healthy diet with information, right? And um, so I've often said, just unplug from the matrix, right? Don't watch the news. Now, that's still my overall opinion. But in these times, I want to go back to your point of looking around the world to see what's really going on, right? Had I not had an opportunity to see what's going on in Australia, and to, I believe that's still the most extreme example, uh, perhaps, and I don't wish that to happen to my fellow Canadians, but perhaps I wouldn't have been able to escape in time, right? So I think you have a duty if you're listening to this, if you're watching this, and if you if you watch this far, you probably agree. You haven't spent 51 minutes and 18 seconds watching this if you disagree with everything. Um, I think within your family units, right? And just agreeing on a basis of truth. And it doesn't mean everything is exactly what Zuby has shared, but to, to agree that probably the state shouldn't have this level of power, probably there's an overreaction to this threat, and probably we're setting up quite a dangerous precedent. If you can't have this very basic level of alignment with your, your family units, um, then we're going to be stuck in this mess for years and maybe forever. Exactly. Um, for anyone who's watching this or listening who is feeling scared, here's another thing to consider, especially because a lot of times people go, oh, you know, Zuby, it's easier for you because you're, you're independent, self-employed, and also, you know, you don't have kids. I'm worried about my kids. I'm worried yeah. about my job, et cetera. I do understand that. I can, I can sympathize with that. I understand it. If I can give you a consideration, consider what world you want your children to inherit. Do you want your children to have less freedom and less liberty and less opportunity and less ability to speak their mind and less ability to choose how they live and just participate generally and freely in society without segregation, discrimination, etc.? If you care about that, you have to speak up, right? Think about the long-term consequences. I understand short-term, there might be a little bit of pain. Maybe if you run a business, oh, you might lose a, a customer who strongly disagrees with you. Oh, maybe, um, you know, you may even need to go find another job or you might need to change this or you might need to change that. I understand that. Those are short-term potential sacrifices. But in the long-term, things will, if good people don't speak up and 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 talk while they have the opportunity, things will get worse. Just look at the past 18 months, okay? Look at the past 18 months. This could have been nipped in the bud more than a year ago, right? If people had just gone, you know what? No, no, we're, we're, we're not doing that. You're, you're trying to push things too far. The government would relent. They'd just go, you know what, actually, right? This is largely a compliance test. Though. If people just said no to the mask mandates, we wouldn't even be talking about injection mandates. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be on the table. We wouldn't be having this conversation. The reason why is because people complied, 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 didn't speak up. And look, ultimately, I guess we live somewhat in a democracy. So if there's a country, I don't know, New Zealand or whatever, if that's what the vast majority of people want, then maybe there's an argument that 
that's what they should get and that's what they deserve. In that case, if you're a freedom lover and you live there, I recommend to you to personally get out. Don't feel you have an allegiance to stay there just because it's your uh, country of citizenship, right? I recommend that you find a way to get out. Um, but yeah, people need to think more long term. I've been seeing this issue for many years, even prior to the pandemic situation yeah. where people were afraid to talk about this or afraid to talk about that. And it just gets worse. I'm going to build on what you just said to so fear of losing your source of income. I think, right, that that's a big motivator, right? Whether or not you have children or all, not all, you know, we're the word privilege is loaded these days, but you know. I have the privilege to have a certain level of IQ coming from a certain set of genes and a certain risk appetite that have allowed me to do what I do today. And what I want to touch on, Zuby, is the job market is in a very strange position now, and it is very much employee favored. So if you do lose your your job because of your beliefs and speaking up there are countless ways to get other conventional forms of uh, of employment and if i can preach for my uh, choir just for for a minute and um, launching um broadly speaking an online business whether you're employing and deploying skills you already have or if you're retraining and upgrading your skill stack and your skill stack, some people, just to give you some examples, some people do retail arbitrage, meaning they are flipping items. Instead of being a retailer, they are a middleman between consumers on Amazon or eBay, and then they buy things, let's say at Walmart, right? I've lived in a dense urban environment with no Walmarts, no whatever, everything is from Amazon. And many of the goods on Amazon are from third-party salespeople. So that's you don't need a special set of skills, right? Once you know how to pick items, that's not what I do personally, but people can do that tomorrow. And um, you can improve your skill stack, you know, whether it's communication skills, writing skills, sales skills, analytical skills. There are great resources. And if anyone is listening to this and wants to find me on Twitter and describe their personal situation. Um, I am 99% sure I can connect you. I'm not selling you. I don't have anything to sell under my name. I can connect you to someone on Twitter who can help you. And if I can't, I will crowdsource help to my 40,000 followers. So I would love to help you transition to something else if you need to career-wise. And can I make one more point? Please do. If you think of the future of the job market, this is my perspective. So the pandemic brought work from home, which many people like. What people don't seem to realize is that you have less and less leverage as an employee. Right now, being an employee is really good. There's a huge gap. Stimulus checks have messed up the economy, for lack of a technical term. There's high inflation, which is not transitory, by the way. And right now, to be a white-collar information knowledge information economy worker in the uk the us australia canada it's actually a great time but give it a couple of years might be two might be three might be five you will find yourself in a position where at my former employer the largest telecom company in canada just sold its biggest piece of commercial real estate for 1.7 billion dollars now that's sending a loud message most people are not returning to work 
that's a piece of real estate in the greater Toronto area. So $1.7 billion. I'm not sure what share was profit, but some of it surely was profit. So as a as an employee, let's say you're an HR manager or a marketing manager or an accountant in corporate, a lawyer in corporate, um, data entry, call center, whatever the case may be, and you will soon find yourself competing with talent from all over the world. Talent from all over the world that does not expect paid vacation, that does not expect 401k match or pension match, and that doesn't expect an eight hour workday. And if you have never been in this world, I have team members in at least four time zones, in the UK, in Berlin, in Kiev, uh, Kiev, Ukraine, I probably butchered that, but in, in Ukraine, in Bangkok, I've had some in the Philippines, in Mexico. I now have my first uh, person in America. I'm on hiatus myself. I have a CEO running things, by the way. Uh, I'm not currently working. Um, there are many very smart people. People have this stereotype of like call centers with people with thick accents. A thick accent doesn't mean low IQ, guys. A thick accent does not mean low IQ. I have an no, accent. A, and a, th a thick I, accent means that you speak more than one language. Well, that's it. I'm not implying I'm, I'm, a I'm, I'm a genius, right? But um, I have an accent. I learned English at nine or 10 or 11 years old. And there are AI advancements that people don't really understand. And I, I don't pretend that I can tell you all about AI, but there's AI and machine learning. And then there's freelancing talent. This is actually the best opportunity to speak your mind be courageous if you have to exit traditional employment even if every employer in your city requires a medical intervention you don't want or an opinion you don't have and i will personally and i can't help like twenty thousand people right but i expect maybe 100 people will actually care uh, i will make it my my role over the next few months to personally facilitate your transition this is my promise to you if you are courageous i will personally my team and i uh, will personally help you decide what should be your roadmap. I will make you a, a one-pager roadmap of what resources, what skills you could learn, who you could learn from, and it would be my great honor to help you. And um, I have, in my career, my most proud accomplishment is not the money I've made for my clients, the money I've made personally. It is the people I've had a small impact on. I have extraordinary mentors in my life. Uh, many of them are big on Twitter. I'm not going to shout them out um, and then, you know, look all arrogant. Uh, many people have called me <laughs> arrogant lately, um, which I'm, what, what one person, one, let me say this, which I, this person is very, very good. This person said, one of my tweets went on bad medical takes, which is actually all good medical information. And uh, this person said, this guy talking about me is a narcissist trying to look introspective. And, there, and he's not wrong. So I, <laughs> I, I am a bit of an, if you took the DSM, which is how you diagnose mental health, I would probably meet some conditions of narcissism. And so I'm, you know, I get some ego satisfaction from helping you. I would love to help you. And in my career, I have helped a lot of people from small towns with no conventional monetizable skills. And I've made them managers or senior managers in a given field. Uh, I have hired people from other countries, helped them repackage. So I hire someone as, as a virtual assistant. They work with me for a few months. And then, so someone on my team right now, I told her this morning, 
uh, via my CEO. Um, I told my CEO, hey, uh, you should talk to this person. And this person is currently selling her skills for maybe $8 an hour. And I said, you're, what you really are, you are a systems integrator. So you're going to get this experience under one of my companies and we will help you if you don't stay in this company, repackage your expertise as a systems integrator. And suddenly this person is in Ukraine. Suddenly you go from eight bucks an hour to 20 bucks an hour. A doctor in Ukraine, a medical doctor in Ukraine makes $2,000 a month. Mm -hmm. Think about what $20 an hour is. Yep. $40,000 a year in Ukraine is probably like 150, 200K in the US. Yep. So you are in actually a very, very good position to reinvent yourself. You can wait for the market to force you and for everyone to do it. The truth is this, most people will not change. Most people are too afraid to lose this current job. The best way to level up in your career is to change employers, especially I'm 36. If you're 25, 30, 35, 40, and if you haven't changed employers in the last three or four years, you are underpaid. Going to interviews is one of the best things you can do for your career if you want to stay in financial employment. And the ability to package your expertise, acknowledging gaps in skills. I am very, very, very good at a few things, and I found people to support me where I'm not good or I don't have time, mm -hmm. right? And Zuby is the same thing. Zuby, you don't personally edit video. You don't personally. Uh, I, I used to. I used to do all of it, man. I outsourced in, it all a couple months ago. In the beginning, right? Yeah, and no. in your, in can I ask you about rap? So let let. So I, I've made my of offer course. to people. So I'm a huge rap fan. Grew up on it. Um. So there is production, but then it's not what the not finishing, but there, there's another word for like the total. Uh, sound experience. What's that? What's that word I'm missing? Mastering. There you go. So yep. surely you don't master your album. The last album. Let, let's talk about your last album. If that's okay. Mm -hmm. So walk us through the experience. If, if that's okay, I'm kind of interviewing you. If that's okay. Uh, <laughs> go ahead. Walk us. So you, here's what you did, right? So you used your communication skills and your music skills. You mm -hmm. wrote lyrics first, right? Yep. Well, I get the beats first, so I don't okay. produce. I get the beats from other okay. producers all around the world, and then I write to the beats. So, so okay, so you get, I get you the get beats beat. first. Yep. And then I sit down and I I write the song. I come up with the lyrics myself, and then when I'm ready to record, I memorize my songs. I go to a studio. I have an engineer there. Uh, shout out to Jojo and Claudia, um, shout, and shout I record. Jojo. <laughs> and I record my tracks and then they do the mixing and the mastering. So I do the lyrics and I do the performance. That is That's where right. I fit into the picture. The right. production, mixing and mastering is done by others. And then, of course, I handle a lot of the promotion, etc. Are you good at promotion? Am I good at promotion? Well, I, I mean, I, I made like, it this far. Like you, might, you might be good at promotion. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. <laughs> So, so I don't know. This, I've made right? it this far. So Zuby is a one-man business. He has done everything himself. He's learned the skill sets. He's learned to source talent to get beats. So in in a and then let me bring this bring this back to most people. I I could probably write you a decent rap song, and maybe we should talk about that separately. I would love I would love to brag to my friends that I've written a verse for you uh, or with you. Um. But think about this, right? So let me describe a very simple online business I tweeted about. So think of most 
non-corporate retail brick and mortar businesses. So let's say my favorite example are the trades, roofers, plumbers, landscapers, then think of non-emergency services. So let's say roofing, roofing and landscaping. So most of these guys, they have either no on or and women, and they have no online presence. And if they do, it's in Google Maps. Maybe they're on Angie's list or some aggregating tool. And most of them don't have their own website. And if they do, it is probably not optimized for mobile. And if they do, they probably don't have a calendar mechanism. So let me give you a, a business you can run with right now. So you identify um, unmobile optimized, non-calendar giving businesses. Okay. So let's take landscapers. You get the very basic skill set to create a mobile web page. You embed, so you add to the page a calendar tool that allows the business owner to put their calendar. So the client or the prospective client can select a time for a call or an in-person visit. That way, the pitch to the business owner is I'm creating a virtual or digital business card for you. I am making it easy for people to find you. So the skill there would be SEO, so search engine optimization. And you can outsource that as well, but you can learn how to get pages to go higher on Google and other search engine results. When people get on that page, then they will have a mobile friendly, something like 90% of traffic is on mobile websites. So a website that will load fast on a smartphone, and then you'll present what you do. And if people are interested, they can book a time to talk to you or your team. If you've ever tried to call a landscaper, a roofer, um, any kind of trade, that's not an emergency. It's very difficult to get them on the phone. But if they connect their calendar to their website, I could say, okay, uh, landscaper, I'm going to pick next Friday at 2 p.m. We can have a Zoom call and just talk about the situation. You can add questionnaires to pre-qualify the prospective clients. And you can ask people to submit pictures. I would argue 90% of trades businesses could make twice as much money with this because one, more people would find them. Two, they would actually be able to talk to them when both parties are available. And they have a mechanism to filter out jobs they can't do. Just think about that. So a digital business card. Almost anyone watching this, if you're savvy enough to have found Zuby, watch a podcast, listen to a podcast, this is a, you can learn to do this in one weekend. Not the mm. SEO part, but the building a website, connecting this, uh, finding ways to reach out to those business owners. And you can take that one step further, just find five, make it for them, give it to them and get a testimonial from them. Yep. You have spent maybe $200. You have five people who could give you a testimonial and then you have a ready-made product. You could sell that as a one-time transaction or you can offer to manage that and other parts of their digital business. This mm -hmm. may sound complicated to some, it is not complicated. You can literally learn this in one weekend yep. and you could get to seven, eight, nine, $10,000 USD, especially if you're American uh, in the UK, same thing. This mm -hmm. is not a difficult endeavor. Obviously, if 
5,000 people start doing this in your city, it's going to become more competitive. But I've learned that you can put out a playbook, a roadmap. Most people won't get past step one. If you actually do this, um, you could very quickly match and exceed most white collar jobs in America. Absolutely. There's so much opportunity that's out there. Oliver, man, it's been great talking to you, bro. Where can people find you online? I'm sure after this podcast, a lot of people are going to want to reach out to you, hit you up for more information. How can they find you? Yeah, uh, I am at Oliver with an extra I. So Olivier, O-L-I-V-I-E-R-C-A-N-T-I-N. So Oliver with an extra I, Olivier Canton on Twitter. Um, and I would be very happy to... Uh, do what I suggested uh, I could do for some people, create a, a one-page plan for them. It would be my great pleasure. If I can help a couple people, 5, 10, 20, 30, um, change your life, many, many people have, uh, and I'll give a shout-out to one person, Shane Parrish, the guy who runs Farnham Street. In 2018, he gave me a lot of game, a lot mm-hmm. of game. He's from my hometown in Ottawa. And if I can pay back 1% of what he gave me to a handful of people, I would be delighted. Awesome. So make uh, make sure you reach out to Oliver. Man, thank you so much for coming on the show, bro. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Zuby, thank you. And to the guests who couldn't make it today, uh, I'm grateful to you as well. Thank you for your schedule conflict that allowed me to be here. I'm, I'm grateful. Thank you. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.